This is the John Muzo Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this month's podcast. I'm so excited to go over the content that I believe that's been put in my heart by the heart of God for you. Uh, and can I ask you just as a, a favor, if this is helping you, would you please share this with people that you think it would have hold value to? Also, it would be helpful to us if you would leave and write a review. A uh, couple things coming up at Victory for those of you that are in our region and close to us. Coming in April 21st, 22nd, that's a Friday night and a Saturday, the Exo Marriage Conference that we hold annually here with Jimmy Evans. At the time of this taping, uh, we, I think, are sold already. We literally just opened this up, and uh, 1,200 seats are already gone. I think there'll be 2,400 seats available. And so uh, please, please act quickly if you desire to come. And I couldn't, I, I don't have words to encourage you enough to bring your team, your staff, people you care about, people with strong marriages, weak marriages, or planning to ever get married. Make sure you make this available to them. XO Marriage, uh, we're hosting it here. If you want to sign up or if you want to be a part of it, uh, you want to attend, just go to xomarriage.com. That's xomarriage.com. And all the details will be there and hope to see you there. Uh, Dan Leanne is one of the speakers, and we're going to be keeping him here for that weekend, Saturday the 22nd and Sunday the 23rd. And for many of you, of course, you have your Sunday services, but if you're available on Saturday night and you'd like to hear Dan speak on a separate issue, he's remarkably gifted uh, uh, person in the, in the kingdom of God. His content and what God puts in his heart, it's really life-changing. And so our Saturday night begins at 6 on the 22nd of April and the Sunday, the 23rd, begins at 10. But of course, for those of you from other churches, uh, uh, the Saturday night would be what you may want to stick around for to hear Dan Leanne, and that'll be so, so much, uh, so much, so greatly beneficial to you. I want to get right into the content today, and I want to talk to you about multiplying through longevity. Now, let me stop. If you're, if you're younger or you're older, you might think, well, longevity, I don't really need to think about that yet. Or if you're older, you're like, well, it's too late for me to think about longevity. It isn't a message about how to experience longevity as much as if you do experience it, and what should be experienced throughout it, how it will be a multiplier. Three simple points that I'm going to take you through today. What longevity isn't. Secondly, longevity does have qualifiers. And thirdly, longevity is a multiplier. So let's get right into this content. What longevity isn't. It isn't just lasting until the finish line. Longevity isn't a mindset of survival, breaking the tape at the end of the finish line and collapsing. It is absolutely not that. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul referred to his longevity and to his journey to get there. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul's finish line didn't end with this life. Paul's finish line was eternal. Paul's finish line realized that the crown that he would wear wouldn't be an earthly crown. It wouldn't be a temporary crown that would fade away, but it would be a crown of righteousness and a crown of reward where his works 
would follow him. So he fought the good fight. He finished his race and he remained faithful. So I want you to see longevity, not as just getting to the end of your race, finishing it, breaking, if you will, the tape and collapsing in a heap. It's actually just the opposite. You know, sometimes we think of longevity almost like I think of the movie that Tom Hanks was in, Castaway. And that's, that was years ago, but it was, it's a, it was a pretty popular movie, Academy Award-winning movie. But in the, in the, in the movie, he, he is in a plane crash. He ends up being a castaway on a deserted island, and he lives there for years. And he's so, so alone and so desperate for companionship, he finds a volleyball. And the name Wilson, of course, is the maker. And he names it Wilson. And by the end of the movie, he's so attached as he's about to embark to leave this island and try to find rescue. He takes Wilson with him. And while he's at sea, everything starts to go bad. And, and Wilson falls off his makeshift raft. He immediately risks his life to go save Wilson. Because to him, Wilson had become a real person. What often happens in ministry is our values get skewed. And our longevity isn't just years of service. It's purposeful service. Years ago, when Victory was maybe, I don't know, about 10 years old, and this October will be our 30th year of completion. But about 10 years in, there was a church that I had been deeply connected with in the years before we started the church. And they were going through some desperate conflict. I'll just leave it at that. It was basically a church fight. And the people there, as well as the leaders there, remembered my influence in the church and my relationship. I'd been there multiple times. And, and they all kind of felt like, you know, we would trust him to be an arbiter in this situation. So they asked me to come. Now, it was about an eight-hour drive for me. And it was going to begin on a Sunday evening at about 8 o'clock. So actually, I take that back. It was about a six-and-a-half-hour drive. For me to get there, I finished my Sunday morning. I jumped in my car, and I drove. And I got there in time for the meeting. Spent about 20 minutes with some of the key people, and, and there we went. And there were about, I don't know, 50 to 60 people at the church. And it was a serious conflict where it looked like the church was going to blow up. So I'm telling you this for a reason. I want you to understand what longevity isn't. So I began to just ask questions. And I asked different representatives, tell me your concerns. In essence, I, I asked this question, and I did very directly. Tell me what you're fighting for. And every person gave their position. Now, you have to remember, I have a relationship with these people. So, and they asked me to come, and I've driven six, six plus hours to get there. So I'm, I, I'm not going there to be, to be shy or to be timid. And so when they finished, I, I, I couched what I'm about to tell you. And I don't want to just say it without you understanding the context. So I said, guys, you know I love you. You've asked me to help. And I'm going to do my very best for you. But here's what I want to say to all of you. And I want to be very honest to you. Is that I've listened to every one of your concerns. And none of you are fighting for anything that matters. If any of you win, we all lose. You are risking it all, if you will, like Tom Hanks, to save Wilson. And here's what I said to them. I said, I, I, I'm not angry at you, but I can't believe that I've driven down here to arbitrate a fight over nothing. Not one of you have mentioned the next generation 
of students. Not one of you have mentioned winning lost people to Christ. Not one of you have mentioned discipling people. It's all superficial stupidity, and it's disgusting. And one of two things have to happen today before this meeting's over. You, there's either repentance from all of you, and you get back on track with the mission of Jesus and stop this childishness, or just have a funeral and bury this church now. Don't wait for it to die slow death. Put a bullet in this thing, kill it, and shut it down because you are wasting your time. I said, so I have one question for you all. And it was a little bit more elaborate than this. I'm cutting to the chase for the sake of time. I said, guys, are you willing to repent right now? And let's seek God. And and let's go back to what he asked us to do as a church. And to their credit, they did it. And that church, to their credit, is absolutely thriving today. Because longevity wasn't just the church surviving. It was the church remaining in its purpose. But I want you to understand that longevity in the second point has qualifiers. Listen to 1 Timothy, Paul writing, of course, to a pastor. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and and so have shipwrecked their faith. Now, when it comes to holding on to, on to and not rejecting faith, that's obvious. I think all of us understand the power of what it means to walk in faith and to trust God. I think very few of us, at least in, in principle, think that it's not worth holding on to. But I want to talk to you about the part that is kind of hidden in this verse, the part that isn't obvious that you would hold on to and not reject. And to, in my experience, and sadly, at 62, it's getting to be long. Uh, I didn't think I'd you know, ever hit 62. I didn't want to die young. I just didn't think I'd get old. But here's the reality. I want you to understand the word conscience and its connection to longevity. And I believe it is the central requirement of longevity. Let me say that again. Conscience is the central requirement of longevity. So Paul told Timothy, you've got to hold fast to two things, faith and a good conscience. And some rejecting these have shipwrecked their faith. I mean, think of the word shipwreck. What does it mean? Shipwreck is the very opposite of longevity. It's, it's, It's crashing and burning. So let's talk about conscience. And I want to give you just some scriptures just to, for reference sake. You can look them up later. I'm going to read them to you. And then I want to speak to you briefly about conscience and its power. And if the, the, the fight of keeping a good conscience is, in my view, likely the greatest indicator of longevity that doesn't degenerate into, quote, saving Wilson. In 1 Timothy 1.5, again, Paul writing to Timothy, he said, the goal, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Again, a pure heart and sincere faith, but add and see the specificity of a good or maintained or a conscience of well-being. Acts 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. In Acts 
24, 16, Paul said, so I strive always, keep, get that, always. This is what he strove for. I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Get that. A clear conscience, not just before God, but with people. That means you have to have relationships that just don't fall apart because you don't know how to listen and keep your conscience clear. 1 Timothy 3, 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, what is conscience? Conscience, if you will, is the voice of the inward man. Remember, I'm sure you're aware of this doctrinally, that man, like God, is a tripart being. We are made in his likeness and image. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct personalities. Man is made in his image. We are a three-part being. We possess a spirit. We, we, we are a spirit being, possessing a soul and live in a body. Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, and he said, I pray God preserve you or sanctify you wholly or completely, your spirit, soul, and body. Now, what I want you to see about conscience, it is the voice of the inward man. I want you to see that in scripture. And now think of this. If the voice of your inward man, your spirit, which is the part of you that will live forever, the part of you that is born of God, the part of you that is housing the very person of God, the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that if that voice gets muted, you are in absolute danger. In Romans 2.15, Paul said this, since they, referring to those who have come to Christ, show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, listen, their consciences also bearing witness. In Romans 9.1, Paul said, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Listen now. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Our conscience actually bears witness to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say something that may appear to be doctrinally unsound, but I want you to hear it out. I hear people say often, the Holy Spirit convicted me. In the broadest sense, that's true. But here's how this works. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your inward man and your conscience. You see, if the Holy Spirit were the agent of conviction, we would all have equal convictions because it would be, it would be the same for everybody. Everybody would have the exact same information. But the Holy Spirit isn't directly giving you information, if you will. He lives within you, in your inward man. And the, the condition of your conscience is going to show you whether you're hearing his voice or not. Conscience and its, and, and its whether well-being or lack of it is either going to amplify the promptings of God the Holy Spirit in you or quiet them, if not silence them. That's why Paul said, it is critical that you hold on not just to your faith, but a good conscience. Now let's get one, one, one step deeper into this. So if conscience is the voice of the inward man, if conscience is that which the Holy Spirit bears witness to in your three-part makeup, spirit, soul, and body, it stands the reason that you don't want to injure your conscience. Paul also writing to Timothy and I don't have time to give the context. I'm just going to give you a part of the verse referring to people that had injured 
the relationship with God. He said, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. The conscience of the individuals he's referring to in this, in Hynamius and Alexander, guys that weren't doing a really good deal, and we won't go into what Paul did later with them, but, but here's the deal. Their consciences, he said, have been seared. Now, if you've ever, if you're, I'm, I'm a coffee drinker and I love hot coffee. I can't drink cold coffee. It makes me nauseous. And so, but if you drink really, really hot coffee, you can absorb a level of heat in your mouth that a person who doesn't can't. Now, if the coffee I drink every morning, if a five-year-old child were to take a sip of it, it would literally burn their mouth and blister their mouth. They would start screaming and crying. But I take that same liquid into my mouth, down my throat and into my stomach. My mouth and my throat have been seared as with a hot iron. What's the difference between my mouth and throat and a five-year-old little boy or girl? One is tender, one is seared. Protecting your conscience is critical. Now, how do I injure my conscience? By ignoring its voice. And when you begin to ignore its voice and its prompting, it effectively becomes muted. And when your conscience is injured or muted, you are headed for trouble. In 1 Timothy 1.9, here's what Paul said again. Holding faith and a good conscience, listen now, which some having put away concerning their faith have made shipwreck. What did they put away concerning their faith toward God? A good conscience. And so what Paul is simply saying is that once you put away conscience or once conscience is seared, once you have stopped holding on to conscience as you would to your faith and protecting it and nurturing it, once you put it away, you will lose that intimate understanding and promptings of God, the Holy Spirit. Even when you read the word, you won't see what he wants you to see. You'll lose your personal journey and you'll make shipwreck of your life. Remember, shipwreck is the exact opposite of longevity. Your gift does not guarantee your longevity. Your faith expressed through a clear conscience does. One of the greatest struggles that ministers deal with and leaders deal with is depending on their gift. If you want to protect your heart and your conscience, if you will, something I heard my spiritual father say years ago, learn to instantly obey the voice of your conscience because your conscience is a safe guide if you've been born of the Spirit of God. But in ministers' and leaders' lives, it's very easy to become divisive, to begin to, if you will, be, become hardened, say things that, you, that your conscience should prick you from saying. But once that stops happening, there's nothing to stop you. There's nothing to keep you from falling on the rocks of, of shipwreck. And I've seen some of the most gifted ministers become divisive. And I celebrate their gift. I pray for them. I don't diminish them. I don't disqualify them. But I've watched them depend on their giftedness. And before long, because they have put away conscience, they can say things that are so divisive and so unchristlike that they'll record them and put them online. They'll celebrate them. You see, an intact or clear conscience will prick or condemn your heart and will prevent you from this. Repentance is simply observing and obeying the lighthouse. Your conscience is that lighthouse. And if you don't listen to it, and we've all had areas in our life where we 
didn't listen to that prompting of our conscience. Before long, it seems like it went away. It's not that it went away. It's that we've been seared to hearing his voice. So remember what longevity isn't. Remember that it has a qualifier. Keep your conscience. And thirdly and lastly, this. Longevity is a multiplier. Here's the key about longevity. It isn't a marathon. It is not a marathon. And I have to be honest, I've always thought about it that way. Longevity isn't a marathon. It's a relay race. A marathon is when my calling has a beginning and an end. No one's call it, calling, no one, no one's calling is limited to their lifespan. Our longevity is actually more of a relay race. I was having lunch with a, a wonderful pastor and minister. Actually, he used to pastor. He oversees a, uh, a ministerial organization, a guy named Keith Tusi. Just, a, I mean, just such a prince of a man and a leader. So grateful to have him in my life. We were talking about transitioning at, at different stages of life. And he said, John, and he told me the whole story, but the bottom line of it was he began to give me the insights as to how this came into his heart about the power of a relay race. Here's a fact. If you're going to run a 400-meter relay race with four people, a decent college team will, will far surpass the fastest runner in the world. They'll, they'll have a better time. And yet they're going to hand off that baton four times and still beat that person's time. Why? Keith explained this to me, and honestly, I never realized this. Those of you who have run track, I'm certain you'll know this. He said, John, what most of us think happened in the, in the handoff is the runner is slowing down and the other one starts to speed up. He said, but that's not what happens. Their timing is such that the runner never slows down. And when he actually hands that baton, the other runner is now at full stride. And so no, the, the runner doesn't stop running at his full stride until the baton is in the hand of the other. And, the, and when it's in the hand of the other, he's already at full stride. The pass-off requires, listen now, both of them to be at full speed. When you live your life for the benefit of others, when your longevity is about the pass-off and not your beginning and your end, you will absolutely celebrate the lives of other people, whether you're 30, 25, or 75. I'm going to close with a story that, that Bill Heibel shared. And, uh, and I, I think those listening know that Bill didn't necessarily have the longevity that all of us would have hoped for. But he tells this story that I think is so important for a leader. Heibel was learning to, to be a race car driver. It was a hobby, you know. And he was trying to take a certain bend at a certain speed. And I think you were supposed to take the bend at 110 miles an hour, but he couldn't, I think, get past 90. And he's saying, I just don't see how you can get or do this. So the person training him would, got in the car and, and did it at whatever the, the speed was, was say 110 or 120. He said, how are you doing it? He said, Bill, what you're doing is you're looking too close. You're steering at a certain point, what I need you to do is to be steering further ahead. It will feel unnatural, but steer for that point. And when you start to steer for that point, you'll be able to increase your speed. In other words, raise your line of sight and see further than just the next bend. I want you to not look at the beginning of the bend, but the middle to the end of the bend. And you'll adjust and you'll be able to increase your speed. Now, regardless of your age today, I want you to look further down the track.
Look further than your own life, your own needs, your own wants, your own sorrows, your own joys, if you will. Because your leadership and your calling is truly multi-generational. And this kind of longevity will multiply the kingdom of God. I hope this has been helpful to you today. I hope that as you apply this to your life, that it just benefits you. And one of my greatest desires is that perhaps you'll miss a couple potholes and get where God's called you to be without as much internal damage and damage around you and that you can live the life you were meant to live. Such an honor to have any part of your life. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this and I'll see you next month. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.